92 of Mighty Fortress in our God.
and that they may see by grace the cross of Christ and Christ's suffering there for sinners. And may they see that as their only hope for salvation. For Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. Salvation is found in none other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We pray for those that may be lost among us and even in our churches that you would come with power to save and to convict and to bring them to the Lord Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would strengthen believers who are here uh, this evening and may be discouraged about situations that they are facing in life. And we pray, Father, that they would be encouraged by the music that they would be encouraged by the exposition of these catechisms and that they would reflect upon all the benefits that have come their way because of the suffering and the dying and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would help those of us who are ministers. We pray that you would help us to remember that great charge in 2 Timothy that we are to preach the word in season and out of season. Do it when it seems convenient to us and do it at those times when it seems inconvenient. Oh, Father, make us faithful in this day and in this hour in which we live. And I pray for each minister here this evening that you would bring them encouragement in their individual lives and their families and in their churches. And we pray, Father, that they may know something of the outpouring of your Spirit upon their ministries and upon their labors. We pray, Father, that you would remind us this evening as I close this prayer that we come before the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Father, you can renew your work in the midst of the years. So we come to you knowing that there is nothing that is impossible with you. We thank you, Father, for a time to reflect upon church history, to think about that great work in the 16th century, and to read of accounts in Scripture where you came in renewal and in revival. And we just simply ask, Father, for your glory and for the glory of Christ that you would come in our own day and in our own time and bring a great revival. We pray these things in our Savior's name and for his sake. Amen.
Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, as we look into your word tonight, we pray that you would give us fresh ears and fresh eyes, that you would open our hearts to receive these things, Lord God. They are divine things and mysterious to us and powerful and not natural to us. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would make us able, make us living and breathing things that we might take these things in, that they would become a part of us, Lord God, and strengthen us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. This is a special service. I'm so happy to see you all here for that. It's, a, it's kind of a strange service because it's about the past. It's a Reformation Day service. But remembering the past is a big part of what we are. There's also, of course, the fact that it gives us truth for the present so that we can have hope for the future. We know that the church did not begin with us and it does not end with us and it will go on long after our bones become dust. And it's a joyous thing. We're talking about something in the Reformation that's an ongoing process that will never end until Christ returns. But we usually cue it in on Martin Luther because we like big singing Lutherans that drink a lot of beer. And, uh, but he too had a favorite verse. You remember the story. I'm only going to be able to tell a little bit of it. But you remember the story. He was, he was caught up in his sins. And he was so disheveled in his relationship with God. But then he cued in on these verses. From Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In this, we're talking about justification here. And the question 33 from the Catechism, what is justification? The answer is justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And perhaps alone is the most important line in there. I remember in my own faith, the first time that I was ever struck with these doctrines, I was already a teenager. The idea that I contributed nothing to my salvation except for my sin, that the law of God was not the pathway to my relationship with God, but his mere gift by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the standard of scripture alone and to the glory of God alone, it's befuddling to us. It's still hard to get. The reason that we have an entire service like this, just in commemoration of the gospel, is through history, it's so easy to lose it, isn't it? So easy to get confused by the traditions of men or by our own legal obedience or by our own righteousness. So in this, there's a verse quoted there that's quoted from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright within him, but the just shall live by faith. And it's repeated there in Romans, and it's repeated again in Galatians. Chapter 3, verse 11. But that by no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And then again in Hebrews, chapter 10, from verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. It's repeated again and again and again. Really the primary message of the Bible from the very beginning to the very end is this one message. The grace of God is sufficient to save sinners. 
Now you will be told by the world and by your own inner constitution as a fallen human being, you'll even be told by nature and you'll be told by churches and you'll be told by religions that somehow you have to justify yourself or that God supplies a salvation that you will apply to yourself by your own power and this small sliver of goodness within you. But that is exactly the lie of the devil. Amen. The truth of the gospel is that we are saved by grace through faith, in Christ alone, according to the measure of Scripture alone, apart from philosophy or tradition or anything else you want to throw in there, to the glory of God alone, holding none back for ourselves. Like starving men, we come to the gospel, and we can tell another beggar where to get bread, but we can't make any ourselves. And so this justification is perhaps the most important doctrine in the entire Bible. We might think, well, the doctrine of God seems pretty important. I'm not arguing that it's not. But how are you going to get to it? For goodness sake. He is a good and righteous and holy God. And we are fallen people that sin every day in thought, word, and deed. But in this doctrine, our justification is by grace alone through faith, apart from anything good in us. And so through this, we have access to God. Lord God, our Father. I just pray that you would impress this upon our hearts today, that our justification is found in you, that we contribute no good works to it, Lord God. All of our works are like filthy rags, and yet you provided a pathway through the person and work of Jesus Christ to be reconciled to you. And so we praise you and thank you with gratitude and joy that you have made this for us. And we thank you for this in Jesus Christ. Amen. What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. You uh, can't ask, I actually had first to, to be honest with you, to be honest, I want to do adoption. I'm a child of the 80s, or at least I was a teenager in the 80s, and uh, one of my favorite shows during that time was the show Family Ties. I'm no Alex P. Keaton. And by the way, liberal parents raising a conservative son, we used to just joke about that. We can't do that. Sometimes, though, adoption is overlooked in the midst of talking about justification and sanctification. It's sort of overshadowed by those other two doctrines, but it really is the easiest one to talk about because you can get tripped up with the theological language and the way words change over time when you talk about justification or sanctification. Adoption, the meaning of adoption really hasn't changed that much in 2,000 years. Um, it is the, uh, when we come to understand this idea of adoption, we, we are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten Son of God, the unique Son of God. But through faith alone, through looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in Him, through that union, we now have a new status that God looks at us as sons and daughters of the living God. We did the we celebrated the Lord's Supper this morning at Brighton, and sometimes I, I didn't do it this morning because I was trying to rush over to Salem for their college meeting. But uh, I often remind the congregation that 
there's a we talk we call it communion sometimes, but there's a vertical and a horizontal element to that. Uh, we are communing with God in the vertical sense, but we're communing with one another. And adoption captures that aspect as well. There is a new status, a new relationship uh, that we have with God because He adopts us into this family. But we have a new relationship with one another. We call one another brother and sister. I am an only child. I grew up as an only child. And I still remember the first time another Christian called me brother. And that meant a lot. And it should mean a lot for us when we talk about this as well. Well, we're talking about uh, just our adoption, rather. And I'm going to read to you the, the, the whole chapter on adoption from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I only have five minutes, right? The whole chapter, uh, chapter 12, all those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for His only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have His name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with holiness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by Him as by a Father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. That's right. I've actually one chapter, one paragraph in that whole chapter. That's the whole chapter. But this is the only one of the Reformed Confessions that actually has a section on adoption. Let me read to you just a couple of Bible verses here that, that uh, put forth this doctrine. And uh, we just finished spending over a year going through various parts of John's Gospel, but we spent several, at Brighton, but we spent several weeks with the prologue, the introduction to that uh, Gospel, and this is what it says in John 1.12, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This comes by our faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I, I still remember, by the way, uh, Harry Reader, the PCA pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, was saying that the lady came with him once. He was speaking at a conference, and she said, Pastor, have you have you heard of the second blessing? And he said, I've heard of the third and the fourth and the fifth blessing. And she said, what? He pointed to this first He blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And what are these spiritual blessings we have in Christ? He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, according to His good pleasure. We like, in our day, many like to argue about election and predestination and things like that. Paul looks at this as a reason to give praise to God. 
the glory of God, His blessing. He has blessed us with this adoption that we're talking about. And one last thing, and from Galatians uh, chapter 4. Now in Galatians 3, where Paul is wrestling with those who would misunderstand the doctrine of justification by faith alone, he reminds us in chapter 3 that you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves in Christ. And one of the truly powerful verses uh, is at the very end of chapter 3. Uh, if you are in Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are Abraham's descendants. You are heirs according to the promise. And then Paul continues into chapter 4 talking about this idea of being sons of God, this doctrine of adoption. And he says in verse 4 of chapter 4, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You ladies are not left out by being called sons of God. You ladies who are believers are sons of God. The son inherits the promises. We inherit the promises. We inherit the blessings. But we do so only through Jesus Christ. And you can rightly be called children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful good news that we are no longer slaves, no longer aliens, but we have been brought into the family, brought into that status, that relationship as sons and daughters of the living God. Oh, Father, press these truths upon our hearts that we would give you the praise and glory you deserve. We ask all of this in the name of your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
question 35, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live unto righteousness. Well, part of the gospel, part of the good news of our salvation is that we're not just saved from the guilt of sin, we're actually saved from sin itself. That there was an act where God declares us justified and an act where we are declared children of God. But there is a work of God's grace. That means it's ongoing, it's gradual, it's continual of fighting the sin and ridding us of sin and conforming us to the image of His Son. And that is good news. Not that we're just declared forgiven, but we're being made holy. That we are fighting sin. That this is becoming one of the uh, more exciting ideas of heaven to me. The longer I am married and have children, the more I see looks of hurt that I have caused. The more I've had to ask for forgiveness for things that I have done to disrupt relationships. And one of the great joys of heaven is that I will no longer cause that hurt. I will no longer go to bed with regret, wishing I had not said what I'd said. I will no longer have that burden of knowing I'm forgiven, but also truly, truly being freed from sin. What glorious news. It is a work. It's ongoing. It's continual that is happening in our life. But the promise is that those He formed you, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That we were created for good works. And so you, by that same grace that has justified you and saved you, that same grace is working in your life if you are truly trusting in Him to help you fight sin, to enable you to fight against sin in your life, and to enable you to bear fruit of righteousness and do good works. That grace is at work in our lives. And looking back on my life, it is very gradual, and it is very slow, and I just pray that that is part of the patience that has been born in me. There's no timeline that fits any of us. Our stories are unique, and so we can't look at someone else and say, you really should be further along at this point. When we look at ourselves, we should be able to say, you know, there's something different about me 10 years ago than there is now. There's something different than 20 years ago before I believed than I am now. There, there should be something where the things that you used to delight in no longer interest you. And the things that used to give no interest to the things of God are deep joys and bring you delight. We pray that these things are true. That He has promised to not only pronounce forgiveness, but to free us from that sin. So what do you do if you look and you say, well, I'm not quite where I need to be. I'm not seeing the work. I'm still confessing the same sins every Sunday. Does that mean you start working harder? You start trying harder? We get rid of that grace alone stuff and buckle down? Well, no. It is grace at work. It is that same grace that forgives us. It's the same grace that works goodness in us. That same grace that brings us to hate the sin and fight the sin. And so what do you do? We thank God for the grace that brings you conviction that you don't see yourself being where you need to be because that is evidence of the Spirit at work in your life. 
Goats don't care that they're not sheep. That is the spirit at work in you. And so what do you do? You plunge into that grace, that same grace and the same gospel of the Savior who died for your sins is the grace that is cleansing you and purging you. You come to His Word. You pray. You attend to the sacraments. And that same grace is the grace that enables you so that one day uh, we will be perfected in glory. We will be free that we are getting it there. And until that day, we can pray like John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen. 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 That was a good word. Take your pew hymnal. Let's get you involved here. 872 is where the catechism is found. And we're going to look at question 36 on page 872. I will read the question and the congregation will respond in unison by reading the answer. Question 36. What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and Oftentimes we read from the confession for the catechism during a Sunday service, and sometimes I think, I just want to stop right now and just exposite. What's that word? Exposite. Yeah. Uh, but um, today I can do that. I can actually go through a catechism question instead of going to the Bible. But the Bible rules. I just sometimes really love these answers. That's what I'm trying to say. And when I've been teaching my children in youth groups, uh, about salvation, I try to remind them that, that salvation is all about jazz. Justification, adoption, and sanctification. And they need to remember that in that salvation, God declares us righteous. He, he calls us one of His own children so that we're inheritors of all His blessings that have been already discussed. And that He's sanctifying us. He's set us apart for a holy life and holy living. Well, what would be the benefits to us if God did all those things for us? And that's what question 36 addresses. And what really leaps out to me in this answer from the Catechism are the words love, peace, and joy. And I think, well, the Catechism is built on the Bible, footnoted from the Bible. Where else do we read about love and joy in peace, but Galatians chapter 5, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, these would be the benefits that come to those who are justified, adopted, and sanctified. They would have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
gentleness, faithfulness. Oh, I can't remember that last one ever. All right, there's a little joke in there somewhere. Someone got it. Uh, the point is, is that the Spirit really brings to us benefits that are completely human and completely spiritual. Uh, there was a day when you would get a job and you'd say, look at the benefits that I get. Look at what the company's going to do for me. And I don't know if those benefits were there because they could then pay you less. Uh, or it was something, some kind of gamble on their side that uh, they wouldn't have to pay you as much. But there are benefits in being a believer. And there are benefits that people, as they live their lives, really yearn for. Love. People want to be loved. Can you know, outside of Christ, what love is? I was thinking, you know, I, I grew up, and where did I really know love? Well, I had a mom, and I loved my I still love my mom. I love my mom. All those times when you were a little child and you just had to be with mom, and mom would make everything better. And, and, and I know that every human on this planet has an understanding of that type of love. But that's only a human understanding of a human type of love. Do you know the type of love that God has for you? Do you have that kind of love for God? When we think about our society and they're constantly over and over again in almost every popular song, and now all the popular songs today are corrupt. No, but they still reference love. We have people who tell us love is love. But we are to love what is lovely. God is lovely. The things of His Word and His life and His Spirit, they are lovely. And you won't be able to understand love unless you understood the benefits of justification, adoption, and sanctification. You see there in this answer a reference to the assurance of God's love. 1 John 4.12 says, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. That's that Greek word to tell us. Jesus said to tell us die on the cross. God's love is complete. It's a love that we understand on a human level but can't ever really know until we come into a relationship with the Lord. It's a different kind of love. And of course, there's this reference to a peace of conscience. Do you have peace in your conscience? Um, there's been too many nights where I've been kept awake, and it's a little bit of an echo of what Scott has said, of just the things I've done that I wish I could go back and do over. Because I was wrong. I was the brute beast. I did the thing that I should not have done, and I should have known better. But I know that all of that ultimately is placed upon my Savior, who has freed me from the guilt and shame. And where can people take their guilt and shame if they don't know God in His justifying, adopting, and sanctifying grace? Where do they take that conscience? Well, the Scriptures tells us in 1 Peter 3, in discussing our need to be sanctified, he discusses that we are to have gentleness, gentleness and respect 
and the clear conscience because slander and reviling are going to come against the believer. Can you imagine how much the apostles received slander, how much they were told to stop preaching that, don't talk like that. Almost sounds like today a little bit. But we have the confidence that we are representing the truth of God and His Word. You see here the joy in the Holy Ghost. People know what joy is. They, they go to amusement parks. They have family campouts. Uh, they have afternoon barbecues. And they think they're capturing some joy. And there's joy in that. But that, that is not eternal and heavenly joy. The joy that we will have when we finally stand before God, declared righteous completely in His sight, and sharing in the fellowship of the Father and all the saints. How do you measure that joy? There is some measure of that that is already happening as a, as a benefit to the believer. Romans 14, 7 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a discussion of the increase of grace. In our Reformation Sunday, we sort of have this foil with the Roman Catholic Church and the way that they dispense grace. And we would say, no, we grow in grace. We don't depend on someone handing it out to us. We don't access it through these human practices. God has shown us His grace in Christ. He has brought us this grace by His Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That that, that sanctifying work that God is doing is accompanied by His grace all of our time. And then finally, there are nine gifts, uh, nine fruit of the Holy Spirit, but there's five benefits for believers in this life. And it, the last one is perseverance to the end. God continues with us. He who has begun a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Um, I really like the way that 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 discusses how our salvation is kept up in heaven. So we can't get our hands on it and mess it up. God is promised to deliver a people, not simply from their sins, but also from themselves. And that's the kind of Savior I need. And the benefits... When I recall all that the Spirit does in the life of the believer causes me to rejoice that God has done this work of deliverance and that uh, the fruit of that salvation begins to display itself in the life of the believer. Uh, let's pray and thank God for this. Lord in heaven, your word is true and just and right. And we come to it as flawed human beings. We need a heart that recognizes and a mind that discerns that your word has uh, the truth of life. And though we've all experienced love and peace and joy in our life, we've usually attributed them to some kind of activity that we were able to pull off. Uh, Lord, these things really come to us in the fullness of knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that we are eternally connected to him, and that the program, if you will, of delivering a people 
has already been completed because the fullness of our salvation has been seen in a risen Savior who has ascended into heaven, is interceding for his faith, and is preparing a church to bring into his presence. Lord, help us to recall these truths for our true love, joy, and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
five minutes and 27 seconds. I guess I'm going to be dumb. Uh, 27 <laughs> seconds. But now, I've got two questions to address. Number 37 and number 38. And I'll put them one and What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? Very relevant question. Death is all around us. This past week, we got word that an ARP pastor died, Greg Slater. And that kind of hit me hard because Greg and I have known each other since back in the 1950s. We were raised together in the same church. I'm thinking, here's a guy. When I saw it, said it was in perfect health, seemingly, and uh, happy and healthy. And I'm, it's around us. We've got people in my church. I'm thinking of a dear friend that is dealing with esophageal cancer. Her days are numbered. I'm thinking of another member that's got uh, COPD, and he gets up in the middle of the night, sit up in a chair just so he can breathe. Another woman that's younger than me in the later stages of Alzheimer's, and uh, her life will be uh, cut short by virtue of that. And so death is relevant. One of the benefits we receive at death, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness, and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies, still being united to Christ, do rest in their graves until the resurrection. Now, uh, to, to grasp what he's saying here, let me just ask you a question. Anybody sin today? <laughs> Seems to be hands, but I, thank you, Calvin. <laughs> Calvin said uh, a few of the hands, and uh, I'll raise my hand. In fact, I sinned yesterday. And I'm thinking maybe back stretch my memory back the day before, but you know, sin is not simply an occasional thing with most of us. It's a it's a matter of a lifestyle. Uh, I don't mean just have you committed a particular sin, maybe, but is sin a very real part of your life? And maybe is sin such a part of your life that you feel at times completely defeated by sin? Uh, Lord, I did it again. I said I'd never do that again, but I did it, or I said it, or I thought it. And but Lord, I'll never do it again. I promise you. And then, within a matter of hours or minutes, maybe you, you sin again. And it, it, we realize that when we come to a certain point in our lives, that sin is not simply something that I do. But sin is what I am. I am depraved to the core by being. The heart is deceitful above all else, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And uh, th th that's the concern of the prophet, that's the concern of Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul, and everybody that I know. You, uh, Chris, you referenced Martin Luther. Uh, Scott, you spoke of sanctification. Kent, you spoke again of those same concerns of sin that are there in our lives where times we feel like uh, we are consumed and overwhelmed. And I think of Luther, who was obsessed. Augustinian Bach committed his life to Christ, uh, a life of service to Christ, and yet he was consumed with a sense of guilt. Not just I feel a little guilty, but consumed with guilt. Devastated by guilt. To the point he, he confessed hour after hour, he starved himself, froze himself, flagellated himself to deal with the sin within. Hours after hours of confessing and his peers and Luther, this is insane. This is, not, this is not helpful. You take a look at that was Luther before he understood justification, before he understood grace. Maybe I don't have a clear timeline in my mind of those events in his life. See, what was Luther made before a believer? Then I'm thinking of another guy who at one point would cry out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Oh, well, that was Paul before he became a Christian. Or so certain segments of the Christian community would say, because you see, they've got a distorted notion of sanctification, the fact that we can become sinless, live the victorious Christian life, maybe, in some sense, or rise above the constant gravitational pull of sin, achieve sinless perfection in this life, and that is sheer heresy that comes straight from hell. I think of people that are defeated overwhelmed because they've been told by an authority figure, you can achieve that. And then Paul was describing God himself as a Christian. Then Paul was speaking of his experience as a Christian. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer very simply, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ died, like you said, not only to forgive our sins, but to end sin. That we might not be sinners, but again, we will not know that complete victory until we close our eyes at death. Again, the, the benefit that we receive at death is that we are made perfect in holiness. When I close my eyes in death, all the depravity that I know in this life will be ended completely. Not sort of I've made a considerable degree of progress. But the totality, perfected and holiness. Because I'm going to speak in terms of uh, other things uh, being glorified. Immediately passing into glory. So I'll look at Romans 7, where Paul talks about evil that is within me. But again, in the next chapter, and the evil, he continues with that thing, but now it's not within me, it's the evil that's out there. Again, I mentioned cancer. And COPD and Alzheimer's. It's not just the ailments. There is starvation. There is war. We see our civilization unraveling. We see evil all around us. Depravity all around us. Sickness and horrors of death and, and wickedness and evil and, and suffering. Immeasurable suffering that people endure. And then point again, there's good news. All could say I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present life, the worst that this life can know at cannot be compared, cannot be compared to the glory that we will know when the Lord Jesus returns. So we've got both of these. You've got the, the souls made perfect in holiness, and we also pass into glory. The next question is simply, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at his resurrection? of the resurrection believers being raised up in glory, which is our blessed hope, shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. A couple of two things stand out. Acquitted the day of glory and day of judgment and openly acknowledged by Christ. I've had the privilege a lot of you have of being able to serve with a jury. Several times, two of which were murder trials. And the trial here in Memphis especially heinous because I was the minister on the jury that I would be the foreman. And so we went through the process of hearing things I'd never heard before, seeing things I'd never seen, unimaginable horror of the crowd. The lawyers did not even attempt to defend the man. It was, oh, he did not deny what he had done. And that speakable murder of a woman right here in North Memphis did not even attempt to deny him, to, to defend him. And so when we deliberated, not, no more than 10 minutes, we took to deliberate. But back in, 
the judge, how do you find we find him guilty, Your Honor? Before we move to here from chapter 11, it's at another jury trial, uh, another murder trial. And yeah, the same thing. The guy did not even deny. I pulled the trigger. Yes, the man died. I killed the man. Jury deliberated. Went back down. How do you find, Your Honor, we find not guilty? Self-defense. Immediately, spontaneously, there was an uproar of, uh, of uh, weeping. And uh, the, the man broke down just emotionally overwhelmed, weeping. And his family, his mother, father's wife, weeping because he'd been found not guilty. That's, that's what acquittal means. Found not guilty. The neat thing is we're told that in spite of all the garbage in our lives that we just mentioned, we will stand before the righteous judge. The verdict will be rendered. And it's going to be for me, and as Doug, as you said earlier, hope for everyone here, maybe not. This is where you stand with Christ. But I expect the judge to say, who's going to act not only as a judgment, jury, the verdict is not guilty. You know why I'm going to be ruled not guilty? Because I've got a really good lawyer. <laughs> not just one that can get the guilty off unjustly. Not somebody that's concerned with Campbell and June or Morgan and Morgan. Not one of those. <laughs> people, but I've got a really good lawyer. John refers to him as the paraclete or the advocate, which basically means the lawyer. Jesus. He's my lawyer. He's defending me. And because I've got a really good lawyer, in fact, somebody that not only will defend me, but somebody that bore my sin, the verdict will be not guilty. And he will usher me before the judge, the righteous judge. And uh, it says again here that he will openly acknowledge me. That's the stretch. You know, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. But if you're willing to acknowledge me, then I will acknowledge you before the Father. He's going to be willing to do that and, and openly. I'm ashamed of it. I'm thinking, I think about one of our former friends, Jimmy Carter. I'm from Georgia. And so I, I remember Jimmy Carter. And did he all remember Billy Carter? Here's the president. He's got a brother that's a drunk. It's an embarrassment. The president of the United States, his family, drunk through the muck of uh, the embarrassment of having a brother that's a drunk. They named, a beer, named Billy Bear. You might remember that. An embarrassment to the man holding the highest office in our land. And, you know, that, that is his brother. Jesus looks out and he sees us as, as you said, brother, because of adoption, we are his brothers and sisters. And the book of Hebrews says he is not ashamed. Let me be quite frank. I'd be ashamed to call you my brother and sister. If I were Jesus, I'd be ashamed to call me brother. I'm the Billy Carter of the family. <laughs> But he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. He acknowledges us openly, and we will be acquitted on the day of judgment, made perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of God of all eternity. This is question 37, 38. What does question one say? Yeah. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To all eternity. Not just for a few years, but from this point, and we, we can't conceive of what eternity is like. But the full enjoyment of God, heaven's going to be incredible. And Paul says the, the sufferings of the present cannot be compared with the glory 
so much there that we can't even begin to imagine. All of that song I can only imagine. I can't even begin to imagine. But there are all the things we think of the new heavens and the new earth, and I think, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing dinosaurs and just silly stuff that you, but the glory, the splendor of heaven, the greatest thing, the single greatest feature of heaven will be to look and to gaze into the face of Jesus Christ. Yes. It's going to be great to be able to see the people that I love that be part of Greg Slater, my parents and others. But to be able to gaze into the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, that would be glory. Amen. Father, we, we, we stop, we pause before you, we reflect, we have, have considered a number of questions. And the answers that have been well thought out and that have stood the test of time. And that point us to Jesus Christ as our only Redeemer, as the one who by virtue of His righteousness and His power and His love made full atonement for people like the wretched sinners. Hallelujah, Father, we praise You for Your love in choosing us and loving us in spite of who we are, not because of, but in spite of who we are. You set your love upon us in eternity. You gave your Son, your only begotten Son, Jesus. You came of your own accord. You gave your Spirit to come to quicken, to call, to draw us irresistibly unto <coughs> yourself. And that same Spirit that drew us will keep us until that day when we stand before you in glory. Before all your majesty, your splendor, oh, we cannot wait. Maranatha, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I will announce us, but I'll let you out. I think it's your job to announce that. Yeah. We're going to sing together hymn 170, Fairest Lord Jesus. So I'm going to go slightly off script. Verse 3, acapella. Let's stand together to sing.
in four uh, reminders through your word and through song and through the catechism and <coughs> benefits that they come to us through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that we would never uh, go beyond or never give over the wonderful fact that He loved us and He gave Himself for us. Father, we thank you that great hymn that says when we stand with Christ in glory and looking o'er life's finished story, then Lord, shall we fully know, not just how much we owe. And so I pray, Father, you would help us to see just what Christ has accomplished for us. We thank you that by grace we have heard his voice, the wonderful voice that calls upon us to deny ourselves and to take up the cross and then to follow him. Yeah, he's so good to 
to see you. Chris, I just wanted to speak to you. I'm, I'm very mad to you. Of course, we know each other. Well, um, you're good to remember that, but you meant so much in the brief time that you were at Mount Carmel. Uh, so kind of you. Bringing us the word, and um, every time we think of a good sermon, we think of Chris. Oh, that's very kind of you, sir. I'm just getting older and older. <laughs> well, we all are. <laughs> well, that's right. You don't but, ever want that to stop. <laughs> but, but, but once you hit a certain age, I, I think that your, your years weigh on you a little bit more. Uh, mine have started doing that, but uh, I'm, I'm greatly blessed. How is your wonderful family? They, they were right here with me. I, I wish uh, you could see your daughter did a wonderful job. Very kind of you. She's only Job and all the kids are probably already at the snack table. You know how that goes. <laughs> well, she just did great. I, I, tonight's service was really a blessing. I, um, you know, I know it takes an effort to put things like this together, but we should we should have more community services. Michael Bearden. Such a good time waster already. It's mostly for the kids, but people keep up with their grandkids on there. And their oh, kids. my wife loves it. I mean, there's a baseball game. She, and all of that. she uses it for all of those things. Well, I'm so glad to see you. And sure. I, are you still in, in uh, South, South Haven, Mississippi? Yeah. yeah. We've been there for five years. Well, that church is lucky to have you. Well, that's very kind of you. You tell them I said so. <laughs> I'll tell them. <laughs> bye bye. Sure.
you in their feet? He is not here at all. 